welcome to Being the Dot. I'm your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, we ask different guests to join us to chat about Black life in white spaces. Today's guest, the brothers. That's right. This is the last of the three episodes of reactions to the George Floyd murders and the subsequent civil unrest. I actually started this whole series by talking with Black men, and so I'm excited to bring this to you today. The brothers, Andre of State College, William, Stone Mountain, Georgia, Mr. Ship. You may remember Mr. Ship from the earlier episode of C-Suite Travels. Michael of Berlin, Germany, formerly of Louisiana, and Michael of Central Pennsylvania. Take a listen to what they have to say. I'm sure you will be as moved as I was in hearing your stories and reactions. Let's start with Andre. Tell us where you were when you heard about George Floyd's um, death and killing and um, what you felt if, if you watched the video. It is interesting because of the profession I am in, even with my, uh, my college training and my you know, post-undergrad training, I, I understand media. Um, and so I try to be careful about what I take in. This thing was so ubiquitous as far as where it was at and where it was available that it, it, you couldn't avoid it. Um, and so I, I tried to for a while, but eventually I was like, okay, let's see what this is. And by eventually, I mean like maybe hour like six or something like that <laughs> um, because it, you try to duck it at first, but I couldn't. Seeing it, it was tough. The So to give you a larger perspective, I myself had been recently in the past year, year and a half, gone through some health scares. And so I, and one was particularly with my heart. And so I know what it is to have the feeling as if your, 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 your life is leaving your body. Um, and then on top of that, within the past three months, I had, um, my father-in-law, um, die suddenly due to, tragic circumstance, not as far as the police, but physically, um, it, it went, things went sideways. And, and, and so his, he couldn't, his spirit left his body. And so to see someone visually having their physical presence leave their body and he's telling you that it's happening piece by piece, it's like, whoa, I, I've lived this. Um, I've like, I, I have felt this and luckily I was able to be brought back someone others close to me weren't, but then to see another black man just have, have his life callously taken from him. He was, he didn't die. He had his life taken from him to watch that and to watch the callous nature. And you look in those gentlemen's eyes. Cause it was, cause we have one under arrest, but what's happening is multiple angles are coming out. And so when you see the other angles and you see there are three other individuals with knees to two total of three. So there's two other individuals with knees in his back and a fourth watching. It's like, Oh, so they were killing this man. And, and there's no way around that. And he's trying to tell you, 
hey, I'm dying. And then to find out as he's calling out to his mother that his mother has already moved on, transitioned from this earth. So he's calling to, to, to spirits. He's calling to the essence. He's calling to his predecessors and say, hey, I need you. And he's like, he's trying to call strength or call life. And and so that that was traumatic on a variety of levels. Um, and then to 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 be honest about myself, to live in a space that is white, um, where I live at, and 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 so far as my, my physical location, and vast majority white, as in single digits people, uh, percentage people, percentage wise people of color. I always see it as, hey, that could very easily be me, and and so it's um, it was disturbing on a variety of levels, but particularly because understanding what it feels like to have life leave your body. And for me, they put electricity through my chest to make me come back. But but he didn't have that. And somebody was actually taking it from him. That's a scary and lonely place to feel as if life is leaving your body. So it's tough. It was tough. A lot of anger. A lot of anger. And it's and you don't and just lots of lots of thoughts in your head. Cause it, in my line of work, it's literally my job to be as diverse and as equitable and as inclusive as possible. I don't feel like being any of those things right now. Um, I'm rooting for everybody black. And then, of course, William. I'm just looking through the news channels, different news channels. I'm just trying to get more information, more details on the matter, on the uh, actual occurrence. So you want to misconstrue anything, so I'm just trying to get as much information and I didn't want to make any assumptions, wanted to actually see video, different angles of the videos and things like that. I mean, it was uh, appalling. It was, I just saw it as a, a travesty of justice, pretty much. Um, but on the other hand, it's not the first time. So you try to avoid from becoming numb. Because when you lose that, when you get that sense of it, it doesn't, um, it loses the value. So you don't want to lose that. You want to make sure that you're um, able to process it and just try to figure out ways to avoid it, avoid it happening to you individually, so as a person. Michael has an interesting perspective as an expat in a foreign land. So, you know, yeah, we're here in Paris. I was transitioned to the fellowship in Berlin. And I guess the way I would describe it, because like, I can't remember the moment, because I'm learning right now as I'm working through a lot of stuff that I, I didn't know how well I became I became able to block things out. I tried not to. Um, and I, I did, and I can only get as far as, because I usually is quick, and he's on him so long, I can't watch him suffer. And I think that might be one thing that makes this different. It's typically I hear something, or I just don't watch it. But it like it popped up in something else I was watching. It was on a French video, because they're protesting now. Because the day that he died, uh, the person's name is, it's not Armand Traore, that's the football player, but the last name is uh, Adama Traore, I think is his name. His sister's an activist now. She's been, I don't want to call it radicalized, but she's become conscious because of it. And the African community here and the black community here knows that police brutality exists. But when it happens, and it happens in the U.S., they defend themselves by saying, but that's not here. And that's because Americans are bad. So, like... I'm watching a video about that because the same day that George Floyd got killed, the autopsy came out on this young man who was killed by the police 
And they did the same thing that they do to black men in America, which is to say he had some kind of existing condition that was a complication and it killed him. And I just heard that and I was freaking out. And I was like, but just so I keep telling you that y'all aren't different and you're doing the thing. And then I'm like trying to figure out how to process here because that's I'm the only black person in this circle. So I go to Twitter and I start saying, so where are the black French activists? Is there French Black Lives Matter? Is there somewhere I can go? And I swear to you, Dr. Stacy, that same day, the night in the Arondis month, the district that I'm in, they pulled over a black man and they had him on the ground and they were doing the same move on it. And that was I was done after that. I was over. Mr. Ship's answer is interesting here. Yes, I saw the video and I can tell you that it was very painful to watch. As an aside, uh, when uh, George Floyd was laid to rest this week, uh, that, that cemetery is within walking distance of where I'm sitting now. It's that close to, to my home. So, um, you know, he was from Houston, but even more closely, you know, right here in Pearland, that's where he was laid to rest. But yes, I watched the video and it was it was painful to watch it. And this is not the first time that's happened. I've had that happen before and I've had to force myself to watch these videos because that really is happening out in the world and you know turning it off doesn't make it go away and you know I think it's important that we be informed but yes I was it, it was painful and and it made me think that you know why we like to think that we've made progress you know I'm old enough to remember the you know the early 60s and the 70s and what was going on back then and in some cases, we haven't changed at all. That was going on then. The only difference is now everybody has a high-quality video phone in their pocket, and we can record it. And my thought was, you know, if you read the New York, I mean, the, the Washington Post, there's under their banner, they, they have a little saying. They said, democracy dies in darkness. And I think that's appropriate here. Until you can get it out there and people look at it, these things will continue. And this one was so egregious that there was no two sides of it. No one could look at that and say it was okay. And that was maybe something that was really different about some of the others. They allowed, even if it's at a small level, a little bit of interpretation. So someone could say, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that, or they can always come up with the, with the, the and and the buts and the ifs. This one, there were no ands and ifs and buts. If you looked at that and you didn't come away with a this is wrong thought, you're a sociopath. I mean, there's something wrong with you. Before this happened, I was not of a mind that it couldn't happen. So that's something that, you know, has always kind of been there in the back of your mind. If you're driving down the street, you know, you, you know, you see a cop, okay, let me make sure I'm not going fast. Let me make sure I use my turn signal because People have been killed for having broken taillights or pulled over because they didn't use their turn signal and it went south. Sandra Bland, you know, you know, just those kind of things do happen. So, I mean, there was already a heightened awareness. So to me and for me, this just confirmed what I already knew. I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, I didn't learn anything new about this other, other than that you know, how capricious it can be and and how important it is to make sure that when one of these events occur, that they get heat and light and that they, you know, out there in the public. Because if it stays hidden, they'll cover it up. And they tried to do it here in Minneapolis. You know, the prosecutor was a little slow to the, to the game on this one. And let's hear from Michael of Central Pennsylvania. 
when I had heard uh, the situation had gone down. I did not watch the video. I ended up hearing about it um, because I get my news primarily through um, either Facebook or Twitter. Um, a lot of a lot of my friends uh, on either one of those platforms are, I guess you could say, social justice minded, and uh, they were tweeting their disgust uh, about the situation. Um, and so I normally, when I hear about something, I'll do research on it. And uh, when I found out about the situation, um, I went to the I went to the internet to try to find some information. Saw that there were a couple places that were posting the video, but I did not watch the video. I was just reading uh, what was going on. Um, and then, of course, the aftermath of uh, just the initial situation. And then when I did find uh, so a picture, I saw one photo, and that's all I needed to see uh, on that situation. Um, and it was when uh, Derek Chauvin, the, the officer, uh, was kneeling on uh, George Floyd's neck and the look on his face um, and the look on George's face was all I needed to see. Um, and I didn't want to see anything else. I've watched videos in the past. Um, so when um, Ahmed Aubrey, uh, that video came out, um, I, I watched a little bit of that video, but it was, it was grainy. And I'm not sure if I watched the doctored video and not the full, the full version. So, so in the version that I saw, it, it showed um, Ahmed running um, with the camera angle behind, and then you see the truck pull up, um, and then you see the scuffle uh, between Ahmed Aubrey and uh, whoever the person is who had the gun, the shotgun. Uh, but I didn't see anything else after that. I just kind of deduced what had happened, and then based on the reports, uh, kind of figure what else was there, because I didn't in my mind, I didn't need to see the actual killing. Um, I just know that that's what, what had happened. So it's not my normal stance to not watch the videos, but in this particular instance, I've been, I've watched a number of other videos uh, leading up to this point, um, and I did not need to see another video. Um, you know, as a person who's, who does this work, trying to keep in mind um, you know, all of these different things and the feelings that I have, particularly when I live in the environments that I do, that I could be that next person, depending on, uh, you know, somebody who sees me in the community who doesn't know me, or even if they do know me and feel some type of way about who it is that I am or what I look like, like I could easily be that person. And so those are constant reminders and checks that I, I, I have to have. Um, I want to, I want to have hope in the world, but that's not always necessarily the case. So what kinds of things are you doing to try to cope and manage how you're feeling and the trauma of this? I'm not. Quite frankly, I'm just not. Um, I'm trying to stay off of certain parts of social media. Um, I'm actually very, I'm different where a lot of people talk about, hey, um, I like to have all points of view on my on my timeline. I want to see a lot of things. I'm not trying to have points everybody else's point of view right now. If you ain't with me, you against me. It's like I live. I had to live other people's points of view. Like that's not an option for me. And so, and so I'm I'm blocking off my social media. I'm being very careful who I let inside that space because that was supposed to be a de stressor. But now that everybody's taking their stress online, I got, I'm I'm not on that as much right now because I don't want to see it over and over again. It's like, I'm good on that. 
Um, I, I would, the gyms are still closed. And so otherwise I like being strong. I like being big. So I'll just go throw weight around. So that, that's not an option right now. Um, I'm, I'm trying to live, I'm trying to live better so I can't eat myself to death. Uh, <laughs> hey man, I, I, I am. So we, we can't do that right now. I'm not in the the place to try to be a good Christian about this right now. It, it, despite Despite my last name, while it is definitely um, a traditionally Muslim last name, I've been a church pew baby my entire life, um, meaning that I have grown up inside the black church as a vernacular. Just because, just make sure your listeners understand that. I don't want to use terms unfamiliar, but I, I'm not. I'm not here right now. My pastor, love him to death. He is giving a wonderful three part sermon so far on how to fight like a Christian. I have not listened to a single one. I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't want to right now. I just want to fight. Like that's literally what I want to do. I just want to fight. Um, and it's so it, it's just having to be careful. And it's like you have no really where to turn to because my daughters are 11 and 13. So I can't be walking around here angry and uh, all the time. My wife is a nurse. So she's leaving the house every day. And so she got to deal with potentialities of COVID and is her job going to be there. So I got to be careful what I'm putting on her. Um, and everybody else is just walking through this stress as well. And so it's like, I'm not really going anywhere with it. Like talking to you is probably the most cathartic things I've done so far because I have not actually spoken in detail about my level of thought. Uh, that's what makes this different too. My strategy changed because typically I'm a person who, when I get stressed like that, I get mania and I manage my mania by giving myself tasks so I can like organize the time, get the energy out and move. And this time it was so much. And with everything that happened, I can concentrate. So the first thing I did was when I got here, because it's my summer and normally my first summer week, I'm recovering from school. So I find easy projects that I can do that'll help me kind of decompress and finish thoughts so I can function. Because a lot of my stress is work-based, which is something we could talk about at one point, I couldn't do it this year because it was just too much. And school this year had been being locked in a pandemic, trying to figure out how to teach. And some of my work had been on when I told people where we work that everything I'm thinking about and doing here goes into my research. I'm analyzing the school and I can't put myself mentally in that space. So I'm listening and just trying to transcribe a lecture. And I got through about the first third and I stopped and I haven't gone back to it because I don't I don't want to process it. Um so I started giving myself more time. Um, I, and I think the important things, too, and this was so obvious of a way to deal with race-based stress and isolation. I talk to my family more because I have people who have this experience and they understand. And like my relationships with my cousins, we've been trying to talk together for years and it hadn't worked. We've been trying to schedule trips. Now we got a, at least a, like a call every other week so we can all hang out and talk and see each other. Um, my friend gave me a birthday gift. I actually got it right here. It's a, a MIDI keyboard. And that's one of my old strategies from graduate school. I play music and my friend here has some guitars. So I would just sit and I started reteaching myself theory because it's methodical. Um, and what I've learned over time, like with this and cooking, is to get out of my head, I have to engage another sense.
So this gives me something to do that's intellectual, but it has to move through my hands and I have to pay attention to touch and hearing. I got back on my yoga. Uh, I'd lost all kinds of weight. Um, and I would start making time to take naps and do breathing exercises to kind of come down. So this is the first time it became like very, very, very visceral because there was, it felt like I was nothing, there was nothing I could do and I'm just trapped in this shell, but the shell can't protect me anymore. Having that space it actually allowed me to grieve. And this is the first time I've grieved for one of them because I, I can't take it no more. Like, I don't want to do it because I know it's going to happen again. So it feels, and when it happens, like, even last night, I couldn't watch the funeral because I'm like, his family needs closure. And we're broadcasting it on TV. And somehow you can kill a black man and that's what makes him famous. And this is, I'm stealing this from a student who just said this to me and it struck me in my heart. And this is what I'm saying while we have to work with these kids. So what made it different, though, is it gave me the space to mourn this. And in the U.S., I don't know if I would have been able to do that. And I think it, and I think it would that would have tipped me over. Like I would have had a much harder time and had to do some real deep work. It's it's hard to put into words how it is that I'm I'm impacted. I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm disgusted. I guess I can't put it into words how it is that I'm feeling. It's weird. Um, I find myself being really pensive and thinking about, you know, the, the situation, how it could have played itself out differently. If I was a bystander in that situation, what would I, what I would have said or what I've done, what somebody else should have said or should have done. I don't know if it's, I, I can't, I don't know if it's due to this situation, but I'll say that yesterday, yesterday I had a, I had a headache, probably similar to a migraine. I don't know if it was a migraine. I just, I didn't want to interact with anything that was going to make me think about life and the stressors of life. Um, it's just a, there's just a number of things that's going on. There's this situation um, in general. There's, there are situations that are happening at, you know, our institution, um, situations happening in the personal life, you know, it's, it's just the confluence of it all. It just, I felt like I was just being bombarded with a lot of negative energy and it was affecting me to the point where like, I just wanted to lay down and I didn't want to do anything, maybe do something fun, but nothing that required a lot of mental energy. Um, and I don't, I don't experience that too much. Um, but yesterday, yesterday really came to a head. So I ended up laying on the couch and starting at about six o'clock, I was just like, I'm done. I'm done with the day and I'm just going to watch TV and not do anything find something to eat watch tv and not do anything else and so that's exactly what i did and i got up this morning feeling better than i did yesterday um, but there is this lingering pain it could be sinuses but it's kind of in this general area right up here uh, that uh, as the day progresses on um, it it's there and i'm still thinking about those situations that you know that have happened and it, it the outcry that is happening from all types of folks, either the negative or mainly the positive, but some negative um, things that have happened, and how does that all relate to what's being done now uh, with people raising concerns and wanting to see um, action done behind the rhetoric? I'm having conversations with people who look like me, who share the same values, um, who understand. Uh, the work of diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
um, who are attempting to educate those around them, both in the personal and the professional realms. Um, and so it is an opportunity for me to reassess uh, things that are important in my life and but still keep abreast of how it is that I'm viewed in the world. So I, I want to have hope that we are, this is a very serious and terrible situation, but I think it has awoken the consciousness of some people who I want to do a good thing and I'll say I'll do a good thing, but I don't actually, in terms of activity, do a good thing. And now I'm being called to the carpet about, um, it's less about rhetoric now. We're tired of the words. We need you to actually do something. Keeping that abreast, but then also still realizing my place in the world. So as I continue to walk up and down the street, that people are going to view me as such. Um, I think there's a hyper focus, both on my positionality in the world, my own perception of my uh, positionality in the world, um, and that people are cognizant of that now. Um, so that's what helps how I help cope with the situation. As I talk to most of the brothers, we were right in the middle of the full-on civil disturbance and looting and things being set on fire. And the brothers had lots of comments around protesting and their reactions to it. I definitely feel it. I it's, it's interesting in the way it comes out. For instance, for myself here locally, they had what they call peaceful protests. It was more like a gathering. There were a large amount of people, maybe a couple hundred or so, maybe a little downtown. Um, and being a mostly white town, it was mostly white folk, but there were a lot of people of color out there and, and they were out there talking. I, I didn't show up. I didn't want to show up. A, I'm not in a space right now where I need to be around too many, uh, too many white people. That's not the space I'm in right now. And so I wasn't going to do it. I am tired of talking, quite frankly. Um, and so when I'm seeing what people, how people are reacting, generally, I, I would be the person like, yo, we can't break our own stuff or we can't go around just breaking stuff. But it's beyond that. So we just got to change that mindset to the point where we sustain our efforts in being heard. But we gotta be also be mindful of how we're being how we expressing ourselves. The way we express ourselves can convolute our message. Like so, so for instance, for example, we so we know this is a crime. So we act in a crimeful manner, then we're labeled part of the crime and our message is overheard or underheard or however you want to put it, and nothing happens. So I just think it's it's a thin line when you try to of course everyone's acting off emotions. But sometimes you got to control those emotions because, like I said, when they see your actions, they get defensive. And then there's nothing done. Then you're labeled as a as a, as a um, culprit as opposed to someone who's caring about um, or has genuine concerns. You know, you heard of those, uh, the straw that breaks the camel back is just the straw. Like, how, how, many off, how many times do we have to see it? And the fact that we're in a um, technology era and, and we can actually see it as opposed to hearing about it. So the more technology we have, the more views or more hits that it'll receive. So the more rage it can create with more in the masses. So it's just, I think part of that is the technology piece of it. It's just more people can see it. More people can talk about it. More people can share. More people can view. More people can hear um, different opinions across the world. So 
like you, as I've seen examples where it's not even just a United States issue at this point. People from other countries are, are responding to it. So that's part of it. That's why this is more prevalent um, or more, seem like there's more participation because it's more worldwide uh, efforts now to, to relieve or um, try to fix the issue. So another part of that is it's just so blatant at this point. Some of the things that used to be hidden or they, they don't care anymore. Who sees? It seems like it's not hidden. The racism is not hidden anymore. There's no more hidden racism at this point. My, my first thought was us burning down our own neighborhoods doesn't accomplish anything. But my thinking has been informed on that. If it wasn't for the peaceful protest, we wouldn't still be talking about this. Maybe you and I still would be. But the broader society and, oh, by the way, the rest of the world would not be talking about this because there was an attempt to go bury it. And then I thought about the event in Florida where the, the jogger, you know, was chased down by those guys. And it happened two months before anything ever happened. And the only reason we know about it and the only reason any action was taken was because the video eventually surfaced. Had that not occurred, there would have been no consequences to the people who killed him. You know, I'm, I'm at the place now where the protests are serving a purpose because it's forcing the country to, to recognize that, hey, you know, this has been going on. It's not an occasional thing because there's one every month that gets on video, which means there's probably 10 others that don't get on video. And so I think now, yeah. The protests need to continue. Now, we don't need to go and burn our cities down and we don't want to go kill people. But it's highlighting that there's an issue there. And unless we're willing to get out in the streets and go do something about it, it's never going to change, which is exactly where black people were in the 1950s and the 1960s. So, you know, we, we a half a century later, we're right back where we started from. Steve Jobs said when the iPhone was introduced, and that was, what, 12 years ago, 13 years ago? that it would change the world. I don't, maybe, you know, he, he may have been enough of a visionary to really know where that, what that meant. But I think as we look back now, you know, yeah, it did. You know, it provided, you know, it, it provided a mechanism to do on a daily basis what we only every so often saw. Because remember, it was 25 years ago, was it 25 or 30 years ago when the Los Angeles police beat up Rodney King? And that was on a, and that was with a VCR camera, big giant VCR camera. You know how, remember how big those were back in that day? And at the time, everyone said, well, they're just a, that's a, a group of bad apples and they don't represent, you know, police everywhere. Given the propensity that we're seeing today, you know, it, it the bad apple theory is, it, I think is, you know, maybe failing. I don't think that's a, a valid theory. You know, and if you have a couple of bad apples with worms in them and you go put them in a bag with a bunch of good apples and you come back in a week, well, now you got a bag of apples with worms in it. There's got to be a straw that breaks the camel's back. And this just happens to be that straw. They could have been outraged about any one of those other things. Um, but I think I think people come compartmentalize. They explain away the, the different situations. And with this situation, as clear as it was, it's hard to then take a, a firm stance and call it out for what it what it is not like this is not just some um you know a person that or sorry cops that were just routinely doing their job um, it was individuals who clearly went above and beyond what they needed to do 
in order to, if you felt the need to, uh, what's it, restrain this individual, restrain the individual, then let up on the pressure. Like there was no need to continue the pressure, the same amount of pressure that you needed to, that you've, again, and then we can argue about whether that pressure was needed in the first place for an alleged forged check. I mean, there's just a number of different things that's just all kind of wrong in this situation. But I think when people are now called to see, like there are individuals who acted clearly above and beyond what they needed to do, you got to do something with that. And I think for white people looking at that situation, it's like, for us, we've seen this happen over and over again. We've seen the police brutality to the utmost um, in our community. And then when white people see it, they try to explain it away. Oh, well, in this situation, blah, blah, blah. And in this situation, no, that shouldn't have happened. And well, he could have been doing this and could have been doing that. But now you see it in its entirety. And I think there's enough people who are, are starting to raise like, hello, we've been telling you this for a while now. Now you get to see it. Now you're going to tell me that what you saw was different than what it is that I saw. I think we're tired of, of that kind of uh, explanation and rationale. I need you to, is it possible? Is it plausible that perhaps they were acting in a racist manner? And if it is possible or plausible, then what other uh, conclusions do you draw from this situation? And now we have what we have with the, the protest because initially things weren't done. If you could tell white people one thing about making our country more socially just, more inclusive, more anti-racist, less racist, what would you say? My spirit is not in a, at a place right now where I want to craft a productive message. There's, there's no one thing. It's a couple part process. It's, it, it gets back to something that's very basic. If you see something, say something. I, I, I'm seeing a lot of signs that says white silence is violence. And I can I can kind of understand. But what are you actually saying? Like, are you when you see bigotry and when when you see it doesn't have to be bigotry. It could just be racial insensitivity. It can if you can when you hear statements being made and the chuckle, chuckle, chuckle of your little friends, of your friend group. What are you saying? What are you doing? Because the the larger problem is, you're going to excuse me, I'm going to step up on the soapbox real quick. The larger problem in all this is, is the criminalization of black people, of the black skin. And this doesn't start or end with the police. Like, I have a nephew. He's 10 years old. He's, a, he's going to be a big boy. I'm, I'm a solid six foot. He is he's up to my ear now and he is 10 years old. And he he ain't small. He's gonna be a big boy. And I'm seeing the way the things that he is going through and the way the teachers are responding to him and the words that they are using. This this starts as early in, in, in elementary education and the beating down um of black people. And it is the the hypersexualization of young black girls. And therefore, it's the reason why I, I, my daughters have a lot of baggy everything. They're like, Daddy, why can't I wear? It's like, I can't explain it all to you. And I'm trying right now, but I'm doing certain things for protection. But my friends have this. I understand what they have on. You're built different. And I can't do that right now. It's the only way I know to protect you. So when you see something, Say something. And are you going to live beyond this moment? Because a lot of folks are waking up and acting as this is new or this is the first time they see it. 
I heard somebody say something. I'm not going to tell you because it sounds bad. I'll listen to a gentleman. His name is Joe Budden. He does a, he does a podcast. His name is Joe Budden. Joe Budden podcast. And he's just like he's he says he's an ignorant dude. And so I listened to him, and he says nothing. Ch-, he was talking about, and this is a basic thing, but nothing changes till you mess up the money. And so all of a sudden we started burning things. Yep, the money got messed up, and all of a sudden people want to pay attention to things. No. We shouldn't have had to. It shouldn't have gotten to this point. If y'all would have listened to Colin when he was Colin Kaepernick, when he tried to tell you, he tried to very clearly tell y'all by bending on a knee. He sat there and went through the proper protocols. He took the time. He actually consulted with a former military veteran and said, hey, I'm going to do this at this time. I don't want it seen as a disrespecting the military. What do I do? The, this gentleman, a white gentleman told him, hey, military veteran told him, take a knee. That's peaceful. It's dis- not disruptive. And you're still saying what you need. You're still making a point. And then folks couldn't take that. And so now, I bet you Colin doesn't look half as bad. Here we are, what, two or three years later? And the message that he was trying to get out then, however imperfect the vessel he was, y'all got mad because he wore some socks. With some pigs and some that had pigs as police on him and some bacon, and y'all got mad about that. But guess what? Things start burning, and all of a sudden, oh, there's an issue now. No, he was trying to get your attention, and so they brought it peacefully. Well, my question is: when you see something, say something. We're moving beyond. We're moving to the point right now where people are going to be tempted to say, "Okay, we got past that. Now that's over." It's like no. So, because where changes are going to happen, now you have real impact here. Tomorrow in the PA, we vote in the primary. And guess what? Come November, we start voting. If you all don't, if folks don't see a direct correlation between the atmosphere being established in the United States of America by the, by the president, by the government, to, to where we sit right now, you're missing things and you're being blind. So I dare you, I dare you to take, Beyond the injustice of holding this moment, the injustice of this moment and beyond the uh, opportunity to hold a sign in a march that you made, what are you going to do? I want you to go in that booth and make a change. I want you to, in your day-to-day life, decide you're going to make a change. The idea of actually not moving past this moment, the idea of actually um, going out and making a change within the voting booth and... The other, the other thing that would have been a point is um, checking yourself, checking what you're doing. Because if you don't see, it was why I brought, it's actually why I brought up the things that are happening inside the schools. If you don't see the connection between the criminalization of black bodies um, in the streets versus what's happening inside of the school system, because that's the that the school system. Aside from the health system when we're born, the school system is the first system that many people are introduced to in life. It's a system. There's institutional and systematic racism inside that system. And this is all the system that, that, that this is. People keep talking about the concept of a few bad apples. No, the, the, if you understand the hiring processes for police, like actually find out what police have to do. It's not easy. They're hiring the people they intend to hire. Their hiring system is broken. The system is broken. And so it's, it, it it's all goes back to systematic injustice. 
We got to start in the schools. We'll move through, hopefully, through the justice system. My sister asked me to sit down and talk to my nephew about what it is about being a large black man in this area. And I started crying, like, while I was trying to talk to him. Well, I think part of that is just um, education. Like, so you hear people say, especially white people say there's no racism. In their mind, there is no racism because they've never experienced it. They're not racist, so they're not overtly, but if they don't see it, they don't think it's real. So I just think part of that is education. If they can be educated, because um, it's, it's hard to just change a personality overnight. There's no way, one way, no one method, no technique that's going to change somebody overnight. So it, education, you know, and, and just experiences can help gradually change a person's mentality. Like I said, unless they experience it, they, it's, it's, they don't see it. It's hard to change somebody's mindset when they've never experienced it. You know, most of our learning techniques or, or ways we learn is from experience. So if they don't, if they hadn't experienced, that'd be a difficult thing to try to change. And somebody is hatred within their heart, that might not ever change. I don't know how you do that. Their heart just had to be changed and filled with something of a spirit type. Um, you know, tree under that, do under under as you want them to do under you type golden. So, I don't know how you change that. That's somebody who who grew into that. That just didn't pop up. That was something that they right. It was not born, but it was it was developed in them through childhood. You oblivious to it, but if that's what your parents are teaching, that's the environment that you're in constantly. That's why I say you can't change that overnight. Some kind of way that has to be grasped, that's that's from within, it has to be changed from within. But I don't know what I would say. I would just say, hey, man, you, you, you know, I mean, you would have to introduce them to God pretty much to just the spiritual aspects of life. That's the only way you can change that mentality. Hey, I love you. God loves you. Hey, why are you doing this? There's no need for it. Um, that's a hard question to answer. Of course, we just got to get to the root cause. Um, of this situation there's a okay i'll do it this way there's a polite phrase and there's an impolite impolite phrase and even the impolite phrase is very important the polite phrase i think is good but you know you have to do the impolite before you do the polite the impolite phrase is and i mean this very literally don't be stupid and when i say stupid i mean like there's a way in which when we theorize or talk about what whiteness does and critical race theory and philosophy of race or phenomenology. It's, there's something about, you're thinking about what does it mean to be a person who is privileged, whose experiences allow them to ignore what happened to other folks. And Baldwin talks about this, right? He says that white people have this innocence, that they don't know what happens to us and they don't want to know. Because if they did know, they would know that they are not necessarily directly responsible but they're complicit and their happiness rests on the suffering of other people. Because that's what it means, because it's what they're maintaining. It's uh, Lewis Gordon said it's bad faith, right? You have to tell yourself about this, about the world, to believe that you're okay and can still be a moral person. What's happening is it's a failure, failure to understand that your life is essentially an unethical position that you can't rationally justify. And if you really paid attention to it, it would make you insane. It would drive you crazy. And you have to live your life with that knowledge and you have to face up to what's going on in the world. On this question about uh, white people and what he wants them to know, one of the most interesting things about it is that Mr. Ships 
answer actually changed from when I originally interviewed him before the George Floyd murders to now. Take a listen. The, the one thing I would say is we told you so, but you had to see it for yourself. But well, we told you so. We've been talking about police brutality and issues around this for as long as I've been alive. And there's been issues that have popped up, you know, that have made the news, that have been videos, and, you know, and they've always been explained away. Or there's a large, strong commitment to do something, and then, you know, everybody talks about it, and then in the end, you know, you know, nothing happens. And so now we're at a point where, you know, we've had this issue with George Floyd. It's impossible to look at that video and not come away, you know, thinking that that was wrong or to ignore the fact that it happened. And so the message is told you so. So you need to figure out what you're going to do about it. Because I think the society is reaching a point where we can't continue to take this, which is exactly where we were in the late 50s and the early 60s. You know, we reached a point that Jim Crow had to move on. And, you know, it took 10 years and unfortunately people died in that process. But that got us to where we are today. I mean, the only thing I really regret is, you know, now that, we had, that we're here, you know, when I see black people that don't vote, that really hurts me. You know, people died, people died to give them that right. White people, you have work to do and it is not the responsibility of black people to do it for you. I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I've been in situations where I didn't realize that, you know, this was happening. Like, what, what things do I need to know or what can I learn to help me, to help me understand the situation more? You got to help me. So after I breathe a sigh of like, seriously, um, like nobody taught me these things. These things happened to me and I had to learn. A number of like I had to find resources. I think when you develop the the relationship that you need, the personal relationship you need with somebody, I think they may be more apt to be more patient with you. But the but individuals who it seems like they just want a quick fix to the situation and just tell me what I need to know in order to fix it. Uh, you know, I'm less patient about that situation, um, and so it, it's like I I don't have the energy and the time to educate everybody about what it is that they need to know about this situation. And I'm sorry, you're going to have to figure it out. You have to figure this out on your own. And it seems like a cop out uh, because I have what it is that they feel like they need. Um, but I have what I need because I want, I sought it out. I sought out the, the information. You know, I read the books, read the articles, um, you know, watched the movies, um, participated in seminars, like I did that work. Um, and I have a better understanding of who I am in this world. I have a better understanding of how people view me. Uh, and so you have to do that same work and it's gonna take time. And I think that's the other piece is that this is not a quick fix. This took however many years to build to get to this point. It's gonna take almost an equal amount, if not slightly less to fix the situation. But it, for you, in your positionality of in this situation right now and how you feel, just know that it's going to take time for you to understand the complexity of this situation. Me telling you in an hour time frame is not going to help you understand. I mean, it'll help you understand it better, but it's not going to give you everything that you need to know. So, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the conversation centered around 
um, you know, the situation that's that's happened here uh, with uh, George Floyd um, and others who have been recently killed. Uh, but you know, black people who who live in rural white communities, <laughs> that's, that's a huge dot. Um, I mean, I think that there are advantages for being, you know, one of the few in in the situation because uh, I think on some level we can be seen as, as trailblazers, um, cornerstones of the community. Uh, that not everybody's willing to do this, and even if they are willing to do this, that everybody has the uh, what's the word uh, when you stick it out, the tenacity. I don't know if that's true. The, to be able to stick this out. It's, this is very difficult work to be the only person to be the representative for seemingly the whole race and not the representative for the whole race at the same time. Um, we have to say, we have to say, like, my experience is my experience. And when you, when you come in as a person of color, uh, your experience is predicated on how people view you. But also at the same time, like, there are some commonalities within our experience of being one of the, one of the only, and sometimes the only, in whatever the, whatever the space is. I've lived in a community um, in Indiana, very similar to this one, and um, the life that my family and I were able to to create in that space um, is not devoid of racial racial justice or uh, situations that have happened. Kids getting called, my kids get called the N word at the park. Um, or that we had a racist limousine that would drive around with the Confederate flag and a plastic black hand out of the trunk, Get, getting screamed at while you're walking down the street or being called the N-word and other derogatory things that you're just walking. Like, not derogatory, like all of those things are just things that you may experience being in a community like this. But I'm under the firm agreement that they're not going to win. Those people who act in those ways, uh, who are trying to scare me off, are not going to dictate what it is that I'm going to do with my life, how it is that I'm going to. Because there are other people in this community that need to see us for whatever reason, whether it, we're role models, whether we are um, people that will give other people the opportunity to say, like, there are not monolithic groups of people that live here. There are all kinds of people who choose to live here. And we need to be that. Uh, that example. For some, it, this may not be a desirable place, but it could be. And we just need to give it a chance. I want to thank our guest daughters today. Andre, William, Mr. Schipp, Michael of Berlin, Germany, and Michael of Central Pennsylvania. This episode was edited by Heather Lang. Special thanks to podcast interns, Amanda Gillette, and Caroline Boom. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davisdeliciousdelights.com. davisdeliciousdelights.com custom-made personalized pastries, cakes, pies, and cookies made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davisdeliciousdelights.com and use the coupon code BEINGTHEDOT for 20% off orders of $35.99 or more. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.